quitting can be a terrible thing that happens to you. It can completely intoxicate you and derail you and you may distort your values and principles because of what winning may open up to you. Olympic Channel Podcast. That was triple Olympic champion swimmer Anthony Irvin. I'm Ed Knowles and this is the official Olympic Channel Podcast. Each week we find the very best athletes and speakers and we ask them about the biggest Olympic talking points. How do you judge success? Maybe it's by being an Olympic champion. Anthony Irvin won in the 50 meter freestyle in 2000 as a teenager. After he won, he went off the rails. He was so low that he tried to commit suicide. That dip though, didn't last too long. And by 2016, he had turned his life around to the extent that he won the exact same event in Rio. An Olympic champion again, 16 years after his first triumph, becoming the oldest Olympic medalist individual in the pool. In the midst of the Youth Olympic Games in Buenos Aires, I found Anthony and we sat down to speak about US teammate Ryan Lochte and his problems, how his Tourette's drove him towards swimming in the first place, and if we'll see a 39-year-old version of himself at Tokyo 2020. But I started off by asking him about his current fitness. Olympic Channel Podcast. Well, it's all relative, right? And I'm a far cry from the exceptional athlete that I was a couple of years ago. Uh, that's, there's a bit of a, mm, it's got regrouping, re-education period as I figure out how to proceed again to get back to that. But becoming involved and, and being disciplined with one's own body is, I mean, that's, that's essential to any athlete. And I do miss it. And I very much look forward to getting there. Um, but you know, some of the, you know, I, and I, I appreciate your words, but I don't want to get too comfortable with what is a, a slippery slope uh, into losing the things that you build. Everything requires constant work, not only to maintain, but to improve, especially to improve. So do you think that it's, it's possible that you're going to go and give it a tilt for a Tokyo 2020? Is that, is that well, what you're day thinking? Day by day, right? Every... Every destination is a, a fixed point in the, in the distance, but you get there one step at a time. And I'm, I'm approaching it thusly. So uh, as you put it, am I going to give it a tilt? I, I'm tilting, you know? <laughs> no, that's a different, that's a different, there's a different meaning to that. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm going to give it a try. And I don't know what that will fully look like when I reach that, uh, that checkpoint along the journey in 2020. I'm not sure what that will be. I have ideas, um, but that's still very much a part of the plan. It would have been different if the results from the Rio Olympic Games had been different. You know, I, I won, and I wouldn't want to deprive myself of the lesson I can learn from um, putting a finale on my career. And the finale is not uh, the goal that you take away, um, but it could be perhaps what I can give with the rest of my time. I get from you though that there is no finale anymore. Like you, you say, it's nice to say maybe that there's, you know, from Rio, it's like a nice Hollywood ending in some ways after everything that you've been through. But I guess life goes on. 
And, uh, you know, next week you might be a champion, but you've got a daughter, right? I do. I bet she doesn't really care. Or does, or does she care? Just, I, I, I doubt it. As far as I know, <laughs> the limited things that she really cares about, uh, daddy's swimming career is not, uh, it's not really there yet. And, and that's a lovely thing. But you're right, you know, there are um, destinations are, you know, or, or goals. They may be places that you can focus on in order to to build your momentum into that direction and but then once you get there you realize if you reach that summit of that mountain uh, it gives you a new view a view that you've never had before and you have a new opportunity to to figure out where to go next and you just don't know you can't you can't pre-plan too much of what you're going to do beyond what you can see you know and there's there's still so much to learn and for whatever finale there may be, there are new beginnings uh, along the journey, but then especially at that point. So if we go way, way, way back, what, what first drew you to swimming in the first place? Were you just good at it? I was just good at it. I was initially, as I started, when I first began competing, I showed talent. And for a few years, that talent continued to, to blossom. Um, and then I crashed and burned at a young age. And I watched my, all of my peers and friends get better than me. And um, that was a difficult, very difficult time. And that was tied up with all sorts of other family issues and social uh, manners and um, you know, developing Tourette syndrome at that age. And it, it was a huge effort of collectively of the good people around me, you know, my teammates, my friends, my family, my coaches, school teachers, um, that got me through those tough times because I couldn't have done it alone. And one thing I know for sure is that the most difficult times that we are gonna face, no one white knuckles that stuff alone. Um, it really does, as they say, take a village. And, but after having made it through that, I started to show my movement in the water again. I started to show that gift. And um, uh, a few years later, and I went on to university and I, and I spiked right up to Olympic champion. That's it was a, quite a hefty, you know, I, I was a decent swimmer in school. I didn't spike right up. And I was, you know, I didn't do the extremes that you did, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't spike right up in any way like that. It's, it, it takes a certain amount of just raw talent to be able to, to, to spike up in, in the way that you, that you did. Did that weigh heavy on your shoulders as a, young, a younger man? Of course, of course. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't even now consider myself a young man at the time. I was still just a teenager. And because it was like I, I climbed the cliff face rather than uh, you know, taking the winding road to the top. Um, but when you take the longer road, you have much more time to reflect and learn and to study the path um, before you. Um, so it was quite, quite confusing for me and quite jarring to take what, what, what may have been a, a fixed model of what Olympic champion was supposed to be and then to be able to look at myself in the mirror and the person I was and the things that I valued or perhaps a better way of articulating it is the values that I lacked when I look back at myself and I was supposed to represent something. So uh, a cognitive dissonance appeared just about immediately that I wrestled with. And much like Icarus, 
I flew a little bit too close uh, to the sun and my wings could not sustain me. And so I crashed down and began a new adventure. Well, I love the story of Icarus because, uh, and for, well, I guess for anyone who doesn't know, he gets wings, he puts wax on and then he, he flies with his dad, but he flies too close to the sun, it melts and he falls to the ground. And one of the things that I always was drawn to with that story is, and I still do now, at least Icarus flew. <laughs> and I guess that, that you know, the, 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 there's a warning there, of course, with the, of course. the father figure. But man, it must feel good to fly sometimes. It does. And there, I mean, there are some other expressions you can use, right? It's, it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. <laughs> Or, as uh, I think it was Neil Young that said, um, it's better to burn out than to fade away. Yeah, yeah. You know, famously, the last words written by Kurt Cobain before he killed himself, right? And it's like, well, those are two starkly contrasting, um, but formulaically, they're of the same shape. So what do you make of that, right? Um, yes, to fly, it's great. You don't even necessarily know that you're flying when you're doing it. Right? It often takes reflection uh, to look down upon what you've done um, from above, not, not look down on it like in a negative way, but to uh, try to objectify um, like your, your own motion through the universe that, uh, that can only be done retrospectively. And when you're caught up in the moment, you're just trying to keep doing what you're doing and trying to navigate the chaos of such a strange new place. With the t Tourette's, it's like one of these things that's so misunderstood uh, by everybody. It can be, it's, it's like the, sometimes a, a bit of a punchline some, for some people. Um, did, is that, was that a factor perhaps in, in feeling like a bit of an outsider when you, when you, were, when you were growing up? Indeed, indeed. And you, you touch on a good point. It, it is, or it had become a bit of a pop culture punchline, right? Like what Tourette is. Um, but I don't think Tourette is alone in that. Within the pop culture, everything is a punchline or an essentialization or, or some kind of stereotype that best fits um, the, the, the pop narrative. <clears throat> and, but having gone through it myself at a young age, indeed, you know, like when you can't control your own body, you know, and I had these, these like, it was a, it's a nervous condition where like, I just couldn't stop blinking. Yeah. And it could manifest itself in other ways. And even now still, like I take these movements in my neck and I start, I send it out through the rest of my body so it doesn't become very aggressive in one place. And, but so difficult as a youth, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to constantly find further freedom, right? Like I have a child now I see, if the, um, you know, being trapped in the crib, you know, they don't want to be stuck there. They want to be out playing in the room. And then when they're playing in the room, they're just like, I want to be out in the entire living space. And they're out in the entire living space. Then they, they want to be able to run out of the building, right? Like how, I, just from the moment we're thrown into this universe, we're trying to break free of the constraints that are put around us into further freedom, even though the danger may be there. That's part of what we do. And to have feel like, this energy is welling from my own body, that my body is containing my own freedom. Um, it's terrible. It's terrible to have people look at you and look at you and be like, why can't you control yourself? And you have no answer. 
So it, it was never malicious. I never felt, I don't have any memories of being bullied or anything like that or harassed, but there was a definite almost contagion feel where like people just wanted to stay away who couldn't feel, couldn't understand or didn't have enough compassion uh, to deal. But my teammates didn't do that, right? There was something about just getting in the water and just being yelled at to do more and perform better. And, you know, we, we bonded over that. And so even though we were all different and maybe I had this nervous condition, um, our collective shared suffering uh, really united us. And, you know, th they stuck with me through those times. And I'm still in touch with many of those friends. Uh, and it's been decades, you know, decades since, you know, we had first learned to swim together and learned to train and compete together. Well, I think what gets lost sometimes is the camaraderie of swimming. You need that person to beat each day. You need that person to be pushing you constantly to be better. Not in a, in a friendly way, you know, like you want to just get better. And if you have really good people around you all the time, then that's going to push you on. So I guess, was that like kind of the, the fail safe for you? Like your, your family almost was the, these guys and like boys you were swimming with every single day. Definitely in training. There's no way I could have achieved any of these, you know, whatever medals I have without having team, without having teammates to, to push me day in and day out. Um, whenever I try to train them by myself, not much gets done. It's, there's nothing, nothing to celebrate there. Uh, at best, I can do maintenance work, but I, I'm not going to improve. I'm not going to uh, show myself to be better than I thought I was capable of without other people there. And, and it's not like an animosity of competition. It's this sense of thriving and just teamwork. Um, even if we are just racing each other side by side in the lane, and, you know, I, I even feel that when I'm competing at the highest level. You know, there were, the majority of the people in my Olympic final, I had personal relationships with. You know, I was, I was pleased to hear cheers for my friends. Um, I, I felt terrible when I heard boos for one of my comrades, right? Um, I felt all that. And, you know, we were, because we were all in it together. And with a few exceptions aside of politics being able to enter this, I mean, we're sportsmen, right? At the end of it, um, maybe one person is at the top of the podium, um, but everybody contributed to it. And you know, winning is great. You know, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to give back to all the people that, you know, that directly helped you um, and, and to branch out and, and, uh, and, and thank and, and show your better angels for those that uh, you have the privilege of representing. Um, but even if you don't win, you know, they say, they say when, you, when you don't get what you want, you get experience. And when, with experience, you get enough rhythm of those experiences, you have wisdom. And wisdom is something that you can give to others. And uh, I don't know much more to say about that right now. <laughs> but it's a good thing. Uh, you know, I'm really caught up nowadays in, in trying to think of, of service, of how, of how you give back. And experience is one of those things you do have, right? And a lot of times as an athlete, when you have that experience, that knowledge of what you take away, when you don't get what you want, you don't necessarily win. Because um, winning isn't, for, at least for me, winning is not the goal. Winning would just be evidence of what you've done. 
It should be, but it's really hard to keep that in mind. You know, like, I, I love winning stuff. Mm. Like, if there's, a, like, a TV to win and a raffle or, like, a lottery yeah. or something, I'm like, yep, let's do it. You know, you've got to be in it to win it. And that feeling when you do, I mean, I've never won anything worth shouting about. And when I look at someone who's won an Olympic gold medal, like there's a there's a, there's something I know I know that you say you know the winning isn't important and I know I get I get it. It but is it, important. It, yeah, it is important, but it's not always important, and it's certainly not the only thing that's important, right? Winning can be, from my experience, winning can be a terrible thing that happens to you. It can completely intoxicate you and derail you and. You may distort your values and principles because of what winning may open up to you. Now, winning is a test. Um, it's something that you pass through and you get tested by it. It's not uh, a, a goal in and of itself. You know, in a lot of ways, I think like winning or becoming a champion uh, is its own challenge. Like to be it, not to achieve it. Do you think you won too early then? Of course I won too early. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for this. I wasn't ready to have cameras lurching into me, calling out uh, from the people for me to echo back. Like I wasn't ready for that at all. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the voyage, it looks so young, like, like from uh, Sydney 2000. And then, yeah, I guess. Hey, but there are people at, in Rio that were before the media talking, being that, doing a great job, right? Just for me, it was, I definitely, retrospectively, I look back, it was like too much, too soon. And while I don't have very many regrets, if any, because I, I enjoyed the journey I took after it. Um, and, and I enjoyed the journey returning back to sport. Um, you know, like, there's an easier path. <laughs> sure, I think I think I think that's I think that's fair to say, basically. Yeah. So after Sydney, for someone who doesn't know, it was a bit of a rocky road up until mm. Rio, twenty sixteen. There was yeah, that's you know I think I, this. I don't think that's necessarily prior. It, was, it wasn't. It, it was a rocky road immediately after Sydney. Yeah. For a few years, and after that, I felt like I was. Just cruising, living my best life. <laughs> so, the, the, so it was literally like massive peak, massive drop. Massive off. drop, and then a steady. And then like a, back. Yeah. yeah. But I suppose once you've dropped super low, it's there's, there's things that you realise you need, and I suppose things that you realise just not needed at all. It's person to person, you know. I I, I would want to look to the next generation, and I, I would want to try to be protective of them um, and, and use the knowledge that I have, but I know that, that some people will, would want to chase such an extreme. And I'd have a hard time arguing against that, right? Um, but I don't think you'd necessarily need me if you're one of those people, right? And, and if I can quote Herman Melville from Moby Dick, right? Um, In the mountains there is an eagle. Right, the Catskills Eagle, and even though it dives down into the deepest gorges, the darkness, before flying back up to the top of the mountain, it flies above all other birds of the plain. Right, 
Like it'll get so high where the air is thin. There's nothing else there, why? And then dive, 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 and tell them to the darkest gorge and reemerge, flanked by the sun, right? There's something in that of being, reaching such a great height and such a low, but being able to come back up anyways. Um, some people are called to it. Perhaps it's an instinct. Maybe I'm just an animal pretending to be something more. Or maybe, you know, I'm, I'm actually a highly divine being pretending to be an animal. I don't know. Perhaps somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I, think <laughs> I don't think anyone knows, do they? So, yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, I like that because it's, A, it's super American. You know, eagle, Moby Dick. Ishmael, at least, the, right, like the narrative uh, voice of Moby Dick, he was very much like open-minded, like very liberal, uh, inclusive understanding of other peoples and cultures. He wasn't, he wasn't just like a Yankee out there parading American values. Oh, no, no, yeah, I don't, no, no, not in that way. I think it's, it's got a bit wrapped up at the moment, America and all the other stuff. But it's this, this, oh, this stuff. Yeah. Indeed. Oh, I like that. It's, it's a re- <laughs> yeah. It's a <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, if you look to one of someone who uh, on the American team in Ryan Lochte at the moment. Oh. Um, yeah. What do you make? What you know? It's hard to know what to say, isn't it? Really, when things like what's happening with Ryan are happening at the moment. Is, is he someone you are in touch with? You see him, have you seen him about? Not really. Um, I'm a little bit more of a, of a hard-edged disciplinarian when it comes to wanting to hold the team accountable. Um, and I'll, ju- I'll just say this, okay? The last thing that I read about is I'm so glad and happy that he's finally admitted that he has a problem. Because up until this recent incident, and I've seen many of them, he had yet to make that step. So, you know, good. Finally, something good. Um, And um, just be, you know, as person to person, man to man, I, I hope that he, he can grow, like legitimately. And now that he knows what, he can at least admit what a problem is. I think it's always the hardest thing to realize, isn't it? It's, it's, it's when you can it's see the it. first thing to realize. Yeah, but it's hard. It's hard usually. Yeah, everything's hard. With Rio 2016, um, it gives it a nice third act in the story, doesn't it? You know, like the, the, the guy steps onto the podium, how old were you then? 35. It's nice, isn't it? It's like this, it's, uh, what, how's that, 16 years after? Mm-hmm. Same event. Same event. <laughs> <laughs> it must be uh, a, a satisfaction in winning that. But then, what do you do next? That is the question, right? How do I continue to evolve? How do I take what I've done um, and continue to improve it? Um, how, do I, how do I continue to grow into this world um, while being fixed to this body? Um, there's definitely 
a necessary isolation that an athlete undergoes uh, to pour themselves into their body almost alone, you know, and you know, there's no shortage of some media training or professionalism that has to come with it nowadays as well. But um, having come out the other side, and granted, I, I do, you know, like I do plan to still be an athlete and to re-engage with the body, and, and it's a new body, right? It's not the same one that I worked with in 2016. It's not the same one that I worked with in 2000. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new machine, and I need to be able to tune it and learn it um, all over again. I think it's like my big theory at the moment, so I'm going to let you in on it, and you can yeah. you can you can dismiss it completely. But I'll probably the, criticize it, but I won't dismiss it. Good, oh, good. yeah. <laughs> Is that uh, the previous generation, which I probably put us both in, uh, grew up with people like Neil Young, Kurt Cobain, um, almost with this kind of nihilism, like for destruction in a way. And that was given like a, a, a kind of a sheen of, of cool. You know, it was given this thing to almost to aspire to kind of blow up or burn out and fade away, you know. Um, and there was a lack of spirituality there. You know, there was no introspection. It was kind of like just outwards, and, but, and so extremely outwards that you, that you hadn't worked out what was going on inside and what I think I see here at the in in at the youth olympic games is people just like are much more comfortable talking about feelings how they do especially men because I I didn't when I was younger and now it seems to be much more on the on the table to um to talk about those things and say yeah I feel sad or I've cried or things like that what do you think what I think about that? Well, I think that you know, going through like like the grunge era, right? The uh, the nineties. I think that was real, right? There was there was there was a, a legitimate. There was, there was, it was a a cry from within outwards uh, that it seemed was going unanswered. And that's why it, it gained such momentum. Um, but I also, you know, I'd want to push back a little bit and say that that was also a response to what was considered popular music of the 80s. Of just like the hair metal, like arena rock, just dressing in drag and complete hedonism. Um, and that was like celebrated. And I think that uh, the grunge like kind of, there was a response to be like, maybe we shouldn't celebrate that. I see the casualties of that in my community, um, so let me cry for them. All right, so now that was, that was the one point. And the second point as far as people being, showing their emotions a little bit more now. Um, we live in a different time, right? And this is the 21st century now. Everyone is capable of being their own broadcaster. You know, you don't need to, to know somebody at the local paper to write a column. Um, you don't need um, to be a professional photographer to, to take photos and show them to anybody who can find them. And nor if, if you feel so compelled, um, we are being asked to share how we feel because um, there's 
perhaps it's parcel to the platform of living in the digital age, but there's a, there's a deep loneliness that seems to exist um, of having these two worlds of a, of, a, of a life that exists online and, and our actual physical selves. You know, like I'm, you're physically here with me, right? And I'm talking to you. Um, but we also, we have relationships with people where you know, that might not ever exist or it's very rare. And it takes a deliberate work to, to maintain that kind of a relationship to arrive at a point where we're physically together. So, I don't know, I, I think it's a good thing, but it's not, uh, I wouldn't say it's everyone. I think there's still plenty of people that pre prefer to shelter their emotions. Um, that vulnerability isn't easy. Showing your soft underbelly and, you know, that's a, that's a personal decision really for each individual, like what, what they want to bear. Um, do you bear it all? That's probably not wise. Do you bear some? Because you know how to, to let that out. Um, uh, how that can be actually helpful. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's a good thing. You know, it's, if, you, if you know your people, if you know your community, if you know the places that, that they can be served and you can serve them, um, go do it. Like, that's, that's, that's not being vulnerable. Like, that's being a champion. But it's, um, I think when you try and show vulnerability, there's this, this clash between vulnerability and na naivety. And sometimes when you show your vulnerability in a good way and in a positive way and in a way that should be encouraged, someone will take advantage of, 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 of that vulnerability. And you kind of have to have the strength or the naivety to say, I'll, I'll just keep on doing it. You know, I'll be hurt again because I need to maintain that in order to be like authentic, basically, and stay strong. It, it cuts both ways, right? You make yourself vulnerable. It, 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 can, it can go both ways. Um, and I think it's important to think that like your emotions might not be accurate if you're being vulnerable. If, if you are going to make yourself vulnerable, uh, do so with an open mind so that you can better articulate yourself and how you're feeling, understand what you're feeling. Like, I don't think naivete can be a defense. Um, sure, but you know, let's try out also keep in mind that every single one of us in the entire universe shoulders mountains of ignorance, right? And, you know, it's uh, it, <laughs> one of the, uh, the images in, in Buddhism, you know, in, in my, my book is, is going to be an incorporation of uh, what I think to be Olympic values and, um, you know, values that I've been able to grab from Japan for my study of Japan, being the next games there, right? And uh, one, of, one of the Buddhas, he's depicted as being quite wrathful, and he has a sword in one hand and a rope in the other, right? The sword is to cut through ignorance, and the rope is to bind up your emotions, right? And, you know, like, perhaps you bind up your emotions completely, and this just can do nothing. Perhaps you bind them and you give it some slack. You nail it in your yard and your emotions is like the guard dog to warn things off from that particular place. Or perhaps you're like Santa Claus and you bind up your emotions and then you can ride that sleigh to give all the children all the gifts, right? There's, there's any number of ways, but the point being your emotions can be quite wild.
And it is up to your mind, right? And it is up to your knowledge to enforce discipline on your emotions, okay? Yeah. You need to become the master of your own emotions. You need to be able to take them, understand them, and lead them. Don't let them lead you. That's, I mean, that will, those would be my words of wisdom. I think, yeah, I'm reading Andre Agassi's book. Actually, I finally got around to reading it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's really, really good. At first, I was like, oh, this is going to be rubbish. It's like written in the present tense. And it's not going to be me for me. And then suddenly, I'm like thinking like Andre and like thinking about gill water and all this kind of stuff. It's really, really good. Um, one of the things that when I, when I was, was like, oh, you're going to interview Anthony, I was like, I wonder whether he's had that like weird relationship the same as Andre had with tennis as with swimming and like gone through those kind of Andre Agassi like loves it he hates tennis but yet he's married to Steffi Graf and he clearly you know like he's it's not like the way I hate I don't know another football team that I'm you know you know what I mean I don't think it's it's kind of a love-hate relationship isn't it you know well, I think it's, it's a relationship that changes over time even for Andre Agassi you can see it in his book where you know, there was a lot of rebellion and resistance to this sport. Um, maybe you call it hate, uh, but that, that changes over the course of time. You know, it, 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 he, he reflects on that and uh, he, like, you know, he gives those emotions some different shape and direction. And by the end of the book, it's a, it's a, it's a totally different thing. What sport is doing, what tennis is for him, how he approaches it at all, it's totally different. And yeah, for me, the same way, like, yeah, of course, when I was younger, I had younger opinions. I was immature. I was rebellious. I didn't want to understand things. I was, I was vain. I was proud. Um, all these things, because really that helped me bottle up my energies and direct them. Right. Is, uh, but that's, um, you know, that's, that's part of being part of being young. And you don't necessarily know how good, you know, as they say, the youth is wasted on the young. And that's one of those things is like, you can look at it and it seems so just like great to be young now. You know, just have like almost boundless energy uh, to be not jaded against the world. And, and to see you can just be bouncing off the walls with all this energy and then you can bounce right into the goal. I mean, what a marvelous thing. Um, but that's unsustainable. We all grow up. No one can exist as a Peter Pan. And if they try, they'll just be lying to themselves. Right? Uh, a big problem, I think, of being able to mature and, uh, and develop and, and, and contribute broadly is um, you know, one's own capacity to lie to yourself. Right? So uh, we, got, we all got to start there be honest with ourselves and uh, continue to grow. So to wrap up then, what do you think uh, most excites you about Tokyo 2020 as a man who's clearly thought already a lot about it? What excites me most, how I'm going to get there. <laughs> Trying to figure out how I'm going to get there. You know, so it's, it's so cliche, right? It's not the destination, it's the journey. But there, there is a tipping point where it's like, it's all about, it's all about how you plan and progress the journey, right? And how you, how you beeline to that destination. That's everything. 
And I feel very fortunate to just be here right now. Like this is a part of my journey being in Buenos Aires for the Youth Olympic Games. Uh, and um, my God, you know, I'm going to get back home and going to keep planning and preparing. Good. Thank you very much, Anthony. All good. You're welcome. Olympic, Olympic Channel, Channel Podcast. If you liked that interview, then Anthony's book is called Chasing Water, Elegy of an Olympian. After the interview, Anthony also recommended to me Into the Fire, a first-hand account of the most extraordinary battle in the Afghan war by Dakota Mayer. Full disclosure, I have both at home, but I'm yet to read either. I am super slow at reading, though. But I'm looking forward to reading both. Last week, we had the one and only Simone Biles as our guest, and she spoke about her friendship with teammate Morgan Hurd and how she got together with her boyfriend, Stacey Irvin, as well as, obviously, how she managed to become all-around champion again with a kidney stone, no less. Um, Max JR on Instagram said, wow, she is so well-spoken and funny. And it was. It was a really nice interview. If you liked that episode, or this episode, or indeed any of our episodes, how about giving us a five-star review on anywhere you can, especially on iTunes? It would really help us out, and it would also be very nice. Plus, give us a subscribe. That also helps us up the rankings in the charts and stuff. So thank you if you've already done that. Also, you don't miss one of the episodes, so that's good too. That is it for now. See you soon. Think like an Olympian. Olympian.